No, we are not going to subject Ross Tucker, our NFL analyst and guest around 5.45 p.m. today, to this hit song that you probably don't even remember because I don't know why you would, but Cheesy Pop Music 101. From our girl JoJo, here as we begin the fast lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and the Virginia Talk Radio Network. See, I wouldn't quite say that it's too little too late for Ron Rivera because it's not like he's lost his job or has lost the locker room. But he did open himself up to the potential for the roster to turn on him, maybe become disenchanted with him, if things go south for this team. Granted, they are a six-point favorite against Arizona. I would say deservedly so because I don't know about you, Trey, but I don't really have faith on in their uh, head coach who is still looking back on being uh, criticized, I would say justifiably so, by the Philadelphia fans and media because of his horrible performance at big critical junctures as their defensive coordinator. So that's what Washington has in week one. Trey, am I off base on that? Oh, Jonathan Gannon yes. with Colt McCoy at quarterback? Yeah, the, uh, I think Washington has a good shot of starting 1-0. Yes, I would say so. But then it could go off the rails. And that's where you might be upset if you're a Washington Commanders fan. Perhaps ownership would be upset. Maybe even to go to the lengths of our guy Kenny Powers. <laughs> and not the soundbite you thought we would go. Although, yes, they would be glad to pay out plenty of. Dollar, dollar bills y'all to get rid of ron rivera see here's the thing ron rivera by criticizing eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator that he hired i might add and not really criticizing him but more criticizing the team and saying they were struggling to adapt to be coaching style he brought an unnecessary amount of distraction on his team to the point where he had then to go out after practice yesterday to address it with this. I open up with this pretty much. You know, I realized my comments yesterday took on a different life than I intended yesterday. And that's on me for not being as clear as I needed to be. I'll own that. At the end of the day, we know that we're trying to build here and we're all on. As I've said many times since I've hired Eric, I love the overall message that he gave to the team his first day. And that was basically, we got to learn to be comfortable when we're uncomfortable. And I think what's happening... Stop, is- stop, 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 stop over there. You got to learn to be uncomfortable when you're uncomfortable. You know, at that point, you could tie it all up very easily by saying, if you're Ron Rivera, the Washington Commanders coach, starting with myself and setting the tone to do that. And I haven't done a good enough job to do that, and that is my job and my responsibility. But he went further and yeah. Guys on that side of the ball... Things are uncomfortable. There's been a lot of change. And the entire way of doing things has changed on the offensive side. Change is hard, and I've always encouraged our players to have great dialogue and build relationships with our staff. Since those conversations took place with Eric and the players, I've seen the improvements. And I can honestly say that the last couple of practices probably have been the best in training camp. Ron, I think it's great. Ron Rivera backtracking to a certain extent with his comments about the Washington commander. See, here's the thing, and more importantly about the coordinator, offensive coordinator he hired, Eric Bieniemy, to be the head coach. There, there are a number of different layers to this. Yes, Trey and I, you heard from both of us a moment ago. We think they'll start 1-0 because Arizona's terrible and Washington will get them at a very stoked home opener and season opener 
in week one for a fan base that wants to celebrate an ownership change. But reality is going to set in at some point for this franchise. And if they win, as Trey mentioned yesterday in the Fast Lane, you can hear it and timestamp it at Fast Lane Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts um, and at us, Fast Lane Ed Lane and Trey Love ET on our socials. You know, the reality is that they win ball games. This stuff gets washed under the bridge pretty quickly. But if they don't, that's where it can become a real issue. And people start to see the splintering and distraction. And Trey, maybe even more pronounced because of the fact that plenty of people have thought Eric Bieniemy deserved a shot to be the head coach before this. If you're Ron Rivera, I don't see how your comments are exactly helping set up your coordinator for that opportunity. And the right way to be a leader and a coach is to do that. It's not to fear losing guys, but to understand that if you're talking about being uncomfortable with change, dude, you've had to change head coaching jobs yourself. Ron Rivera was with the Carolina Panthers and got let go because they won the Super. They went to the Super Bowl and lost one year, but he's only had three winning seasons during his tenure. So it's not like he had a storied history in Carolina, and when it went south, it became inevitable that it was time for a change a couple of years later. But there's one more part to this, and then I do want to get your thoughts on this, Trey. But the other part to this is people thought Eric Bieniemy should have been the head coach. If you're Washington, don't you have a head coaching candidate in-house to replace Rivera if things go south and the locker room turns on him? And now Rivera sets himself up for it. Again, it, it goes to the tone-deaf nature of a guy that I think is, oh, he's a solid coach. He's had plenty of solid seasons, but it's never like they've taken a ton of leaps forward. By and large, he's been about a, a 500, even a little bit below 500 caliber coach with the exception of a couple of peaks during his tenure, and that tray is where this continues to be mind-blowing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I always thought that it feels like unless it's super-duper-duper successful this year, I feel like he's on borrowed time. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, Eric Bindemi is the next head coach of this team. And, like, I thought that – I always kind of had that conspiracy theory of they brought him in just to get Eric Bindemi under this roof before they could hire him as the head coach. So, I like Ron Rivera. He's great. It just seems that, you know, with some coaches, like, he hasn't seemed to be able to adjust to today's NFL. And, um, you know, I, I just think you give him credit where he got this team to the playoffs in 2020. But he really hasn't done anything outside of that. And uh, I know he hasn't had the quarterback position settled, but the way they kind of gave him all the power, so it's kind of his fault for not finding the quarterback. And so uh, I, I personally think that it's just, it, it's, uh, it feels like borrowed time, mainly because there's going to be a whole new ownership group and a whole new regime because you know the owner wants to bring in his people. Well, and here's the thing. You don't know if Josh Harris is, is, I mean, he can't be as impulsive and impatient as Dan Snyder was. That's that's a pretty, it's a pretty low standard right there. But you mentioned the idea of new change. Josh Harris didn't hire the staff. Didn't really have much say in it. People thought the enemy could be the guy that could get a head coach. And there's talent on defense. Heck, there's talent on offense. Granted, they've got questions at two of the most, three most important positions. Talent's clearly there on the defensive line, but offensive line, questions, quarterback, clearly a question. A little food for thought, Trey, maybe for our votes of confidence tomorrow. When you get the odds to be the first coach fired in the NFL, 7-1 to one for Ron Rivera. Does that kind of jump out at you as a possibility? Look, I don't think they'll be the worst team in the NFL because no. we mentioned their week one opponent, Arizona. But who, the two worst teams in the NFL probably 
both have new coaches. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly say if you're looking at ones that jump out to me... Let's put it this way. I'd rather be Jonathan Gannon in his position than I would be Ron Rivera because Jonathan Gannon, despite everything, is purposely has a bad roster where the expectation here in Washington is... Uh, is They've that actually they're assembled comp- the roster. Yes. Is a roster able to compete? Do I think they'll compete? I still think they have the fourth worst roster in this division, probably, um, which is, you know... You know, not a. It's a pretty high bar, but it, you look at this. But like, let let's say a year from now, we're a year from now, about to go into the season, and the Arizona Cardinals have the Kale Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. because they're the top two picks in the NFL draft because they own their pick and obviously Houston's pick, who I think are going to be the two worst teams this year. So, uh, it, I'd rather be Jonathan Gannon have a a real shot at getting you know. The guy that's been compared to Patrick Mahomes that I am with Ron Rivera with Sam Howe and uncertainty in terms of, you know, the guy who hired me is nowhere close to being here anymore. Yeah, I mean, that that's part of it. And even if, you know, Dan Snyder actually had say and influence, he probably would have fired Dan, Ron Rivera maybe a little bit too soon because, you know, Snyder goes opposite of JoJo. He doesn't do it too little, too late. He does it way too soon. But, you know, it is an interesting market. Maybe one we'll explore tomorrow in our votes of confidence about that. I'll brush back a slight bit before we get to our Fast Five at Five-ish tray, and that is you mentioned the worst roster in the NFC East. I think you can make an argument maybe the Giants roster is is got its own holes. Clearly, Dallas and Philadelphia have probably got the two best constructed but, rosters. And this is, I can't believe I'm saying this. But the Giants are really good on both lines of scrimmage, and they have quarterback figured out whether you like Daniel Jones or not. You know, I'm not a Daniel Jones guy, and I have my concerns and doubts and about him. Way better coaching advantage. That 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 is where I was about to go. Now, if you're talking about just raw roster talent, I think the Washington Commanders defense really is good. I think they're deeper on the defensive line with the amount of first... I mean, all four of their starters are first-round picks, and they've had good backups there as well. Um, they've underperformed. That's on Rivera, defensive head coach, and Giants obviously the defensive coordinator. the best defensive lineman about on either team, though. With Dexter Lawrence. Yeah. But I'd agree with that. I think you maybe make a case for Jonathan Allen. I know we're getting into the weeds mm. on this here about those the two of them, but I see your point to that. But the one I'm not going to argue with, Trey, I mean, we could argue all day about you know the minutia of that. I won't argue about the head coach, the advantage the Giants have, with what Brian Dable was able to do last year with, again, a roster that I don't think is as good as Washington's yet. They made the playoffs. Clearly a gap between them and Philadelphia and Dallas. We have saw that over the course of the season when the Giants played I them. a gap between them and Dallas. Maybe roster-wise, but not team-wise. You know, there are a bunch of factors to that. More on that, maybe Again, tomorrow. Our... Uh, hey, you know what? Washington does have an advantage on the Dallas Cowboys. I'll take Rod Rivera over Mike McCarthy. So, by the way, quick preview of our votes of confidence tomorrow, in addition to looking ahead to NASCAR at Indianapolis this coming weekend. Trey and I will touch on some ACC and broader college football bets. Liberty University going through the passing of uh, Taj Boyd, the offensive lineman. We were going to do Liberty and the Virginia schools from outside the Power Five. Uh, we were actually going to do that tomorrow, but we're kind of flipping the order, and hopefully you can understand why we are doing that. Speaking of the Virginia schools, that is where we begin things right now in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. Kudos to the former head coach of one of the Virginia schools. 
the University of Lynchburg. Head coach Lucas Jones stepping down from his position as associate head coach Travis Beasley is now the new head baseball coach at the University of Lynchburg. This was a decision that was, you know, a joint announcement. Uh, this was a legitimate joint announcement. More on ones where you scratch your head a little bit later in the Fast Five at Five-ish. But this was a legitimate joint announcement. Lucas Jones stepping away from the Lynchburg Hillcats. Or the Lynchburg Hornets, excuse me. The University of Lynchburg is a red baseball coach. I mean, you heard us document it throughout the entire summer when they won the Division Three baseball championship. That, I mean, they reached the top of the mountain for crying out loud. It's not because he's an unsuccessful coach. He's a good guy. So, uh, to me, unless there's something I really don't know about, and I highly doubt that, you know, it's nothing nefarious that's taken place. It's the fact that Lucas Jones is pretty outspoken that he's physically, mentally, and emotionally burned out and exhausted, mentioning that it has, quote, worn me down mentally and physically, end quote. And he adds, Lucas Jones, this felt like the best time to take a step back from my leadership role to focus on my own personal health, end quote. You know, I agree with that. Look, you compromise so much to be at the top of the mountain consistently and to get that spot and to take that particular journey. And yes, things went the way of the University of Lynchburg. Yes, you lose a couple of players who transferred up, and I don't fault them for that at all. I mean, heck, they helped Lynchburg get to as high of a height as possible, and now you have a chance to better yourself. Uh, It doesn't bother me at all. But the reality also is, is people underestimate the mental toll that something like this takes. Lucas Jones could get back into being a baseball coach at the University of Lynchburg or at the high school level or somewhere else. Clearly, he's shown he can build a program and do so under the more student-athlete-based approach. I think it's important to emphasize in this day and age of name, image, and likeness. But, I mean, look, what he's accomplished this year has kind of granted him that flexibility, and kudos to him for having the presence of mind to realize that, hey, he's got a wife, he's got multiple children, that to be the best dad possible, to be the best person in his family, sometimes you got to step back a little bit, reevaluate where you are to proceed forward. If I had to guess, it's totally a guess, at some point he'll get back into the game of baseball in some capacity, maybe even being a head coach and leading a program in some form, but this gives him an opportunity to hit the reset button, and that's why this makes complete sense and is really a worthwhile move. Number four. Calls have come in for the college football playoff to reevaluate how they dole out their bids. This because multiple conference commissioners believe the revenue distribution model in the expanded format need to be reevaluated as the FBX goes down in the volume of conferences. The prevailing theory is that at some point, the four teams left in the Pac-12 will dissolve, merge, or go somewhere else. More on that in just a second. But here's the thing, Trey. Couldn't we have seen this coming? The Power Two are the ones that have always going to be have always been and are going to be driving the ship on this. I still think for college football in the short term to be relevant before you eventually get a potential breakaway of the biggest brands to form their own super league, which I think at some point is coming. I mean, I don't like it, but I have resigned myself to the idea that at some point some volume of teams are going to break away because there's only so much money to go around in terms of revenue rights, which is the driving factor behind all of this. However. In the short term, you're still selling the notion of hope. I mean, look, I'd love to see Liberty University win Conference USA this year. I would love to see a format where if they do and if they go undefeated, they or JMU and Old Dominion and the Sun Belt or whomever have a chance to be one of those at-large teams in the college football playoff or get one of the automatic bids given to a conference champion. But to think you're going to get any more than about two bids per year under the 12-team format is absolutely naive. The bigger conferences are going to want a bigger piece of the pie because they are the ones that have the ear and the influence of the television properties that have bid on this, the SEC with ESPN, and 
in the future, probably Fox, but maybe NBC and CBS as well, which are all in bed with the Big Ten, that of course they're going to have a larger say. Don't be naive. And that way you can answer this question from the three stooges. Are you that dumb? With the affirmative. No, you're not that dumb. You're much smarter than that. Number three. Speaking of, the ACC's push to add Stanford, Cal, and SMU has hit a snag. Well, imagine that. Trey, we, we mocked this for a while, and I know we had respected experts like David Glenn and, D- and Jerry Ratcliffe and Chip Patterson who all outlined the cases of whether this did or did not make sense, and you could hear their insight from a few days ago at Fast Lane Ed Lane where you listen to podcasts. But, I mean, jokes about the all-coast conference aside, at no point has this made sense. Okay, Notre Dame is pushing the ACC to add Stanford and Cal. I mean, are you going to continue to acquiesce to Notre Dame individually when they don't want to join your conference, but they just want you to continue to do things that are in their best interest? I mean, I know Notre Dame has power, Trey, but at some point, do you back off a little bit? And then SMU, I mean, by the virtue of the fact that they're willing to sacrifice five to seven years of revenue, this according to the Action Network, that because of that, they're willing to sacrifice that much. It shows you how desperate they are, and if they're that desperate, are any of these schools really worth adding something that can actually enhance the value and prestige of your program? And let's be honest, prevent the schools that may break away in the future. The Magnificent Seven of NC State and North Carolina, Virginia Tech and UVA, plus the obvious three of Florida State, Clemson, and Miami, and maybe you throw in Duke, maybe you throw in someone else, it's not going to prevent any from breaking away. So, I mean, it, I, I just... I struggle to see any kind of value unless you operate the airline industry or the hotel industry and you're going to be spending a boatload in travel. The only way it's fully justified is if you get Notre Dame to join because they're afraid they will not be able to schedule Stanford and Cal. I am I'm telling you, um, I think I was on to something yesterday. Like, if that can get Notre Dame in... Then sign up every. If Notre Dame, if the only way for Notre Dame to join the ACC was to get like Navy in the ACC, I would do it. I would too. I mean, heck, that'd you be might, cool though. That'd you be might. really cool to have Navy in the ACC. Bye bye Syracuse. Bye bye Boston College. We're gonna insert Navy and Stanford so that Notre Dame can join as well. I mean, hey, don't rule anything out. It, it, Trey, as laughable as your scenario might have been a year or two ago, heck, a month or two ago. Everything makes sense and is on the table right now. Number two. Back to on-field nuggets when it comes to college sports. According to Andy Bitter and TechSideline.com, and I believe Damian Sordolite of Roanoke.com has had something out about this as well, VMI linebacker Stone Snyder, who was expected to be a contributor for Virginia Tech, is no longer with the team. The Hokies have confirmed that. He was not at the media day on Tuesday. They've been using the term unavailable previously. Um, he was a walk-on, but a guy that was going to be expected to push for a role this year, and his funding was going to be uh, basically compensated by Virginia Tech's name, image, and likeness collective. Uh, I'd say it's a depth blow for Virginia Tech, but based on everything that had been coming out of Blacksburg for much of this year, uh, or at least uh, the, much of this month, the month of August, and we're you know, nine, ten days into it, the reality is you're talking about an individual that was a role player for Virginia Tech. You hate to lose the depth piece, but it never seemed like he was in a position to really challenge for a still up-in-the-air linebacker spot. I think it's more disappointing that it doesn't look like anything is going to pan out of this transfer move in any way, shape, or form. 
And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. Moves that we saw coming. And of course, we mentioned earlier that when John Walters, the University of Lynchburg Athletic Director, and their former baseball coach, Lucas Jones, issued a joint statement of uh, Lucas Jones stepping away to focus on uh, recharging the batteries, that that's a true joint statement. I don't know if this is exactly a joint statement, Trey, but it is one we'll discuss with your FrenchStretch.com colleague, Brian Nolan, in a couple of minutes. And that is Noah Gregson in Legacy Motor Club issuing a joint statement they have agreed to part ways. I mean, it seemed like it was trending in this direction well before the initial news came out last weekend and then before it grew from a one-race suspension at Michigan to a multi-race suspension from NASCAR, from Legacy Motor Club to NASCAR and that decision. But the Noah Gregson departure with Legacy Motor Club. This seemed to be inevitable, Trey. Not a move that really shocks or surprises a lot of folks that have seen the tea leaves coming well before this weekend, but certainly exacerbated by what's taken place within the last week. Yeah, I, I saw. Yeah, it made sense. I mean, I trust Jordan Bianchi. I said that. We said that last night, uh, or uh, Dalton said that on the Bringing the Heat with Brian Nolan podcast. Uh, when Jordan Bianchi said that they were going to part ways, it, it made sense. I think no, he was probably not coming back anyway. Uh, based off the reports, and there's some Toyota conspiracy theories you could throw in with MTJ coming back, John Hunter being the next thing, and you know. Toyota, obviously uh, a guy named Ty Gibbs and Noah Gregson don't really get along before all this came out and then he did what he did. So I think it's a clean slate. It kind of shows Noah's taking responsibility for his actions. He's going to work through the suspension and then we'll see what happens when it comes from here. Speaking of Ty Gibbs, tomorrow is our votes of confidence. I'm sure Trey will have some thoughts on my NASCAR. He'll pick Ty Gibbs. Spoiler alert, he'll pick Ty Gibbs. (laughs) Or will I? Find out tomorrow in the fast lane. (laughs) And speaking of picking Ty Gibbs. And there is your Fast Five at Five-ish. More on that race this coming weekend in Indianapolis with Brian Nolan of FrenchStretch.com and back to the Commanders around 545 today with Ross Tucker, veteran NFL analyst. All that's still to come here on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.